The Bible reading this morning is from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, I want to begin by saying it's always a privilege uh, to preach. I understand um, yeah, the, the gravity of giving um, yeah, myself a two-week series. I want to say thank you to yeah, the elders for allowing me to do this. As, um, as Leon's mentioned, uh, the next two weeks, uh, the series is on humility. Um, and some of you uh, that know me very well or have played touch football against me or have played a board game against me would think, James teaching on humility. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but probably what's more scary is that uh, some of you might have a, a perception of me saying, no, I don't think James is actually comes across as quite humble. I wouldn't struggle with pride. Uh, and that, um, that's quite scary because I think we can very often fake it. You know, we can very often fake it in church culture. Um, so this morning, I uh, come yeah, very sobered, very sobered. Um, yeah, I do not claim to have being humble, um, I'm very convicted of my pride, and I'm a man who, by God's grace, is pursuing humility. Um, and in so many ways, this is going to be a sermon that I'll be preaching to myself, uh, and as I preach to myself, you are more than welcome to listen in. Um, so I just want to begin by saying just a few things. Why, why this series? Why this series? Of all the books, of all the themes to teach on in the Bible, why this series? Um, Number one, uh, it's deeply personal. Uh, this wrestle with pride. When I was 18, when I first became a Christian and decided to follow Jesus, uh, pride was probably the biggest obstacle that I have to jump over. Um, that, that pride was a sin. Uh, I deeply wrestled with that, that idea. I think um, I, I still deeply wrestle with that. Um, and the reason I wrestled with it is because my whole worldview uh, before I was 18 was um, based around pride and achievement, and what I can be and what I can do. Um, for those of you who don't know, I went to Manly Selective School, uh, year 7 to 12. 
Uh, so being in a selective school environment, I was always told how good I am, uh, always do your personal best, uh, you're smart, you're smarter. Um, so my whole worldview was about achievement and about doing well at school and um, looking good to my peers. Uh, I also played rugby very seriously, um, represented New South Wales, um, I, tra- I toured with it, and again, um, that whole world is about competition, the very essence of sport is to win and to dominate the opposition. Um, so especially in my teen years, um, my whole worldview and my whole identity was built around pride. And so, yeah, I, um, we can talk about my testimony another time, but yeah, I get to 18 and um, I engage with the gospel and the Bible and this idea that pride is a sin and um, it, it was very challenging, uh, very challenging to me then. Um, it still is now. I remember reading uh, C.S. Lewis' book, Me Christianity. Any of you guys heard of Me Christianity? There's a chapter in there called um, The Great Sin, um, and it, uh, it was the turning point in my life. Um, if, you, if you struggle with pride at all, um, can I encourage you, go find Me Christianity. Just read that chapter. Um, just skip the rest. <laughs> just go straight to The Great Sin. Um, and he has this line here uh, that, was really, really convicting for me. I remember reading it when I was younger. It was one of those books I had to read a sentence and then just go, go pause for half an hour, read another paragraph, almost start crying. Um, there's this line here about pride that he says, he says, C.S. Lewis, pride is the one thing that everyone loathes when they see it in someone else and of which hardly any people would imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I think we... Um, yeah, we could acknowledge, we could see pride in other people, in political leaders, when we're driving Pitwater Road. We can see it in other people. It's other people's issue. But it's something that um, it's very difficult to see in ourselves. Um, continuing on, another reason why this series, um, I read the Bible, and there's some very scary verses um, about pride. Um, verses that I've been meditating on in preparing for this James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, they both declare this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Um, This picture that Jesus is God and he's in heaven and he's on his throne. And amongst many, many other things that he's doing, he is doing two things. He is opposing proud people. And he's giving grace to humble people. Um, people who rise up in pride, uh, he actually takes them down. Uh, and people who humble themselves, he rises up. God actively opposes, fights against, declares war against, combats against pri- proud people. And these verses are terrifying. These verses are very scary. Uh, None of you would wake up in the morning and say, God, God, I dare you to fight me. I dare you to oppose me. I dare you to do, um, to resist me. Now, it's it's crazy. It's crazy that we would do that, that God actually opposes the proud. Um, It should sober us. It should sober us. Um, But remind us that God gives grace to the humble. He's a God who loves to bless, who loves to serve, who loves to help. And he tells us that if we have a posture of humility, um, God is a God who wants to give grace, wants to give grace. 
And lastly, the last why, so firstly, personal, biblically, um, and the last one is um, church culture. So why the series on pride? I think um, yeah, on church culture, I, I, I look around other churches, the global church, churches that are in the media, and pride destroys churches. Um, and I know some of you have been part of those journeys and that hurt, and we see, we see leaders um, and we see division in churches that pe- is just rooted in pride. Um, and it breaks my heart. Um, and I, I, I love this church. I love this community. And I want it to, to thrive. Um, so that's why I want us to, to think about this. That the NBC, and I think NBC does have this DNA, this posture of humility, both as a community and in its leaders. But I want us to always be aware of it. That pride is always... Um, lurking in our hearts and can can rise up into churches and divide and conquer. So that's the why for this series. Um, Today is just going to be quite simple. I'm just going to spend some time defining pride and humility and just the comparison of it. And then we're going to look at Philippians 2, 1 to 11. As we sung, praise God for Mark Peterson who wrote that that song as well, that someone can so articulately put a Bible section into a song. I love that. Um, we're just going to look through that, and we're just going to look at Jesus' example. Um, next week um, is going to be a lot on the how, so how to cultivate humility. Um, it's going to be more practical this week. Just going to spend some time defining it, and then looking to Jesus' example. So I'm going to start by telling you what humility and pride are, and as I mentioned, I think the easiest way to understand humility is by comparing it with pride. Um, firstly, pride is the encouragement to compare ourselves to other people. So pride is the encouragement to compare ourselves to other people. Uh, and we tend to pick people that we, uh, we feel are less than us, to be around us, less intelligent, less successful, less affluent, less attractive. Um, C.S. Lewis on pride says this, that the more of it we are, so the more aware of it we have in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Sorry, let me rephrase that. The more of it we have ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. And this is really helpful for me to see my pride. I remember when I was 18. Um, if you want a little test, if you want to know if you, you struggle with pride at all, um, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me? How much do I dislike it when other people don't take notice of me? How much do I dislike it when other people patronize me, or other people show off, or other people get the attention and recognition that I deserve. So the, each person's pride is in, is in competition with everyone else's pride. Um, pride is essentially competitive. Uh, pride, gets, pride gets no pleasure, this is really important, pride gets no pleasure out of having something in and of itself, only having more of it than the next person. So let me, let me give you an example. So some people say that we are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but I'll, I'll contend that they're not. They're actually proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. I think if, if everyone were to become equally rich and equally clever and equally good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about because it's the competition that makes us proud. Um, and if you struggle with pride, as I do, we compare ourselves to Jesus. That helps. 
Uh, you, you may be the smartest person you know or in your little circle, uh, but you're not that smart. You may be the most successful person that you know, you're not that successful. Moving on, pride covets the success of other people. We felt this, when people succeed around us, um, we become jealous and envious and covetous. Another little test for yourself, someone that you're close with, they get the promotion first, they pay off the mortgage first, they achieve the thing that you were chasing after first. Your first reaction isn't that you're happy for them, you struggle with pride. Your first reaction is jealousy um, and envious. Humility allows us not to covet the success of other people, but to celebrate it, to rejoice in it, and to be able to gladly say God's grace has been extended to them. Thirdly, pride is about me. Pride is about me. It's about what I want, it's about what I need, it's about what I deserve. It's about what I declare. Humility is about Jesus and it is about other people. Humility allows someone to be selfless where sometimes our natural inclination is to remain selfish. Fourthly, pride is about my glory. Do you guys know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've achieved? Why aren't you praising me? Why don't you like me? Why don't you look more at me? Humility is about the glory of Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you honor him? Do you know what he's done? Fifthly, the point of pride is independence. Um, We see this in Satan, who wanted to be separated from God. He wanted to be independent, the God of his own life. Uh, We see that as sin is that we want to live independently of God doing whatever we want. And humility is not about independence. It's about dependence. It's about acknowledging that we are created and he's creator. That we are dependent on God for love, for mercy, for compassion, for instruction, and for help. And the humble person seeks in no way to be independent because they acknowledge their dependence on God and the fellow brothers and sisters. And lastly, there's much more I could say on pride and humility, but I just wanted to give a snapshot. Pride is something that you and I can achieve in this lifetime, um, and humility is not. So pride is something that we can achieve. We can be proud. (laughs) We can get there. It's not too hard. We can achieve that objective. Um, And humility is something that we need to continually pursue throughout our life. Humility is something that we can vigorously um, and intentionally pursue. Um, but we won't fully complete that until we uh, yeah, have our resurrected bodies. <clears throat> and we can say, by God's grace, that we are proud people pursuing humility. And yeah, I pray that that would be our posture as we move forward. Now, I think it's really important to say, as I mentioned in that last thing, that the reason we are proud is actually it's in our very nature. It's in our, it's in our fallen sin nature. Uh, to be rebellious, to be stiff-necked, uh, to be hard-hearted. Um, and additionally, I think in a world that absolutely um, encourages nothing but pride, 
Uh, I think um, the entirety of Western civilization is a continual and purposeful refocusing our attention on pride and on you and what you can achieve and not on humility and others. Uh, I'll contend that our world exists for for self-help and for self-esteem and for self-love and for self-actualization and not for humility um, and not for the love of God. You see that? It's not what Sydney is about. Um, Not for the love of God and others. So we turn the pages of Philippians 2 and I think we see something here that is absolutely countercultural. Uh, we see instruction on humility. Um, so we need to rebel against our nature, against our culture, against Western civilization, often against church teaching as well. You know, sadly, much of the church teaching is about your destiny and your vision and your rights and your giftedness and your glory. We need to refocus. And we turn um, with Paul's exhortation and encouragement and instruction regarding humility. Um, in my estimation, Philippians 2, 1 to 11, uh, it's, the, it's the centerpiece of the book. I mean, everything leads to it and from it. And it's one of the most significant sections of the New Testament in the person and work of Jesus. So read along with me. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen. We're just going to start looking at the first four verses of chapter 2. Um, Paul writes to his friends at the church of Philippi, whom he had not seen in four years. It's just a little context for us. And let's read along, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one Spirit and of one mind. That's important. Do nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, there's our word, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now here's Paul's point here. Nothing builds a church stronger and surer than humility. And nothing breaks and destroys a church faster and certainty than pride. Uh, Let me tell you, as a a leader in this church, um, someone that loves you, I think this church is a church like every other church. Um, Often it can be very frail. That health is gained slowly and it's lost quickly. And pride works itself out in here. He says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So he points out pride there that it's about selfish ambition and it's about conceit. And selfish, selfish ambition is meaning that we're in competition for resources, for information, for power, for title. And vain conceit, this is the, this is the you're jealous of. You're comparing yourself with others in the church. Um, and this is really important to note here. He's actually writing to a church. This isn't, this isn't non-Christian rebuke. This isn't cultural rebuke. This is actually Christian warning that this kind of selfish ambition and vain conceit would exist in a church. So he's writing to a Christian community. And Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather, the church must have a posture of humility. And really helpful definition of humility, verse 3 
not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So in humility, value others above yourself. Uh, And what he's saying here is proud people only care about what they care about, and humble people think of everyone. And I want to, yeah, think of a church. Many of us have been in contexts where we've seen division and conflict in churches. Um, and there's often there's proud versus the proud. We know how that ends. Often there's the proud versus the humble. Sadly, that also ends. But I want us to picture a boxing match versus the humble and the humble. You know what I mean? Main event. Las Vegas. In the blue corner, we have humble. And in the red corner, we also have humble. Ding. And as they come together, it would be a really boring fight. It would be a very boring fight. It's like, how can I listen to you more? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. You know, there's a posture of listening. Humble people disagree differently. We're going to disagree on stuff, but humble people disagree differently. Humble people dialogue differently. Let's have that posture, NBC. Let's have that posture. And the only way to pursue humility is that you and I would not work out of rivalry and conceit, thinking that we're smarter or that we know the best method or that we're better than everyone else and the world would be a better place if everyone did what I thought was the best way. But in humility, we look to Jesus and in looking to Jesus, we see our own pride and we deal with it humbly. Now, Paul continues... He lifts up for us Jesus as the most humble person who has ever lived. And I'd contend that as well, that Jesus is the most humble person that has ever lived or will ever live. Verse 5, read along with me, 5, 6, and 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So what he says here is that no one one is more humble than Jesus. No one is more humble than Jesus. That's our God. What an astonishing truth that Jesus demonstrates this in what we call the the incarnation, God becoming man. Um, It's this theological term, um, but I want to explain it to you in a, a bit of a fun way. Um, incarnation, incarnation means God become man. Um, that word there, the carne in incarnation. Um, some of you heard of chili con carne. Some of you eaten. If you've never eaten chili con carne, bless yourselves. Go look up a recipe and cook it. Um, it's like a Texan Spanish thing: chili, beans, um, and meat. Um, it's delicious. And when you go to Tex-Mex and you see chili con carne on the menu, um, that word carne. In chili con carne means meat. So literally, chili with meat. Um, and yeah, praise God for that. Um, and and carne, carne mean, means meat. And it's the same root word that we see in the incarnation. The incarnation. So and I'm not, this isn't disrespectful uh, to God, but the incarnation, it's literally God with meat. God with flesh. God in flesh. Um, that's what it means. Um, So this incarnation means that God, who is (laughs) omnipresent spirit, takes upon himself a physical body that has fingers 
and toes. Um, and it, this is, it's astonishing that God in Jesus takes on human body. And what he's saying here that in becoming a man, Jesus is the most humble person who has ever lived. Because Jesus is God and becomes a man. And also think about this, that Jesus is, is in eternity past. He was, he was there at creation. He's, he's the creator who enters into creation. He's, he's timeless and enters into time. He's omnipresent everywhere and he enters into a place. Jesus is seated on a throne and chooses to be born in a barn. He's surrounded by angels in glory. In Isaiah 6, it just describes that it's an angel's job 24-7 to just sing, holy, holy, holy. And he leaves that to come to be mocked and disrespected and abused by us. And that living in heaven, he comes to live in poverty, to suffer as the man of sorrows. And we see here that Jesus is the most humble person who has ever lived. And that God would come into human history in the most humble way to live the most humble life. Uh, It's astonishing. And he continues, Paul articulates this in verse 8, speaking of Jesus, and he says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. He humbled himself, that God became a man. Jesus Christ, God, becomes a man. He humbles himself. Um, For me, this is one of the reasons that I know the Bible is true. This is one of the reasons that I'm a Christian, because no one would invent a humble God. I mean, no one invents (laughs) this humble God. All these pictures of gods we have in writings is these dominant, lightning bolt throwing, almighty creatures, and that a God is humble. And practically here, what this means for me personally uh, and for us is that I I murdered God. <laughs> I murdered God. Because when Jesus went to the cross, He died in my place for my sins. And that God left glory and came humbly. And God left being worshipped by angels to continually be disrespected by stiff-necked, unrepentant, self-righteous, proud people like me. And how did we respond? We responded by murdering him. That's how proud we are. Not only that Jesus, who is God, allowed me he allowed us to murder him. And how humble he is that in dying, he is so humble that he died so that I might have salvation and love and reconciliation to God who made me. It's incredible. It's incredible. In verse 9, he declares it this way, Therefore, God exalted him. God exalted him. So now that we're not talking about the humble incarnation, but we're talking about the glorious exaltation of Jesus. Jesus ascends back into heaven um, where you and I, Jesus, we would see him in exalted glory. There's this picture in Revelation of him seated on a throne, ruling over angels and demons and men and women, the young and the old, the rich and the poor, the foolish and the simple. We would see him exalted over everything. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul ends here by saying, how will you respond to Jesus? Um, Will you bend your knee to Jesus and confess and acknowledge that he is God? Um, And he asks us, and the question for us is, will you do it today for salvation? Or will you do it on the other side of the grave for condemnation? Will you do it today as a friend of Jesus? Or will you do it as a foe of Jesus? And would you do it today for your joy I think it's also important to note here, uh, just before I close, that Jesus both exemplifies our humility, so he's our example, but he also enables it. Uh, This is what I love about Jesus. He's our example of humility, but without him, we can't accomplish it. We not only need him to exemplify humility, but he enables it by taking our sin and giving us the Holy Spirit and continually convicting us of pride and giving us the ability to change. Um, and someone who is yeah, on stage, um, I'm in every way condemned apart from Jesus because of pride. And I share these things with you because um, I want you to have a sense of gravity of the matter. Just in closing, I think um, often my pattern uh, when we when we do fun, like conclusions and sermons and application, um, we often rush into looking at ourselves. Um, so, what, so what I often think when I'm listening to sermons, just, just, just tell me what to do, just tell me what to do, get to that point. Um, but I, I want to I pause, I want to slow down, and before we look in the mirror um, and look, examining our heart and what we can do, uh, that'll be next week, that's the how, how do we cultivate humility, um, I want us to actually look at Jesus. I know you say we've just done that for the last 10, 15 minutes, Philippians 2, but I want us to, I want to really hammer it in. Imagine if, imagine if Jesus was literally on stage with me um, and I would spend the whole time, the ending of the sermon, pointing to me, looking, saying what I can work on or how bad I am. And instead, I should be going, look at him. Look at his example and how incredible he is and how, how sacrificial he is and how humble he is. So I want, to, I want you just to meditate on those, these three, those three movements of humility that Jesus does. Those three big movements, and then we're gonna we're gonna praise in His example. We're gonna look at His examples. So the three big first big movement of humility when He goes from God to man. Um, I can't I often I can't get over this that that, that He goes from from luxury to poverty. I think there's, um, it's not what you'd expect, right? I think it's, it's not the thrust of Western civilization. Um, there's no large group of people right now trying to figure out how to be poor, how to have less money. There's, those seminars don't exist. No one's signing up for them, how to get poor quick. You know what I mean? Like, where can I, where can I take that class? You know, I'd like to be broke. Um, I mean, God... God literally left luxury and riches and praises uh, to be homeless. 
um, and to be poor, and he does this for our sake. It's an incredible, incredible example, incredible God. That second movement where he goes, not just man, but a servant. I want to give you the picture that Jesus would wash his followers' feet. Can you think about that for a moment? I don't know how many leaders you've been around. Um, it's not, not often in the leadership seminars that a leader would get on their knees and wash the filth and the dirt and the black off their followers' feet. And you know what? He goes even further and he washes his enemies' feet. He gets down on his knee knowing that Judas is going to betray him and he still washes Judas' feet. That is remarkable humility. Remarkable humility. And just when you think Jesus can't exemplify humility even more, he dies for us and he dies for us on a cross. The crucifixion as this humiliation. And he allows the soldiers to mock him, to make this fake crown, um, and to be whipped. And while he's up there, he has the humility to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in dying on that cross, he dies in such a way as to be my substitute and pay the penalty for my sins. Um, Jesus does this great exchange that all of, all of my sin goes on Jesus and perfection is given to me. And my condemnation goes to Jesus and his salvation comes to me. My separation from God goes to Jesus and his reconciliation comes to me. And that my pride is laid on Jesus and his humility is laid on me. That I, that I murdered God and God was so humble to allow us to murder him. Uh, and God is so good that in dying for me, he forgives me and forgives us and gives us a new life. Um, and with, with all sincerity, uh, this is absolutely overwhelming to even consider how wicked and proud I am and how good and how humble Jesus is. And God become a man to live humbly, to die on a cross for sinners, to reconcile them to God. It is overwhelming. As a result of that, Paul says, the name of Jesus is the name that we should exalt. And you guys can't look at that example and say, yeah, we should, we should, we should give Jesus his due. The name of Jesus is the name that we should sing. The name of Jesus is the, is the name that we should live for. The name of Jesus is the name that we should gladly proclaim. Uh, I want to invite the band back up on stage. Um, and we're just going to, yeah, instead of looking at ourselves, we're just going to spend some time praising Jesus, exalting him, boasting in his example. Um, and yeah, I encourage you not to rush to looking at yourselves, but to, to rush to looking to Jesus. And in looking at him, inspecting him, examining him, that we would find conviction. Let me pray for us. Father God, we uh, individually and corporately uh, acknowledge that we are proud. 
and we know how it grieves your heart. Father, we, um, we want to marvel and boast in the example of Jesus. Father, that he would not only become a man or a servant, but would die on the cross for us. Help that truth to sink in deep in our hearts, Lord. Um, Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to enable us uh, to be men and women that would pursue humility, Lord, for your sake. Amen.